0: Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange podcast: Stories by Leaders for Leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange. It's Hugh Blue and Russell Dennis. Uh, it's a kind of an interesting day here in uh, in Central Western Virginia. Um, we're expecting a little bit of snow tonight and a storm on the weekend. How's it out there in the Rocky mountain high of Colorado?
1: Well, it's actually sunny today. It's a bit chilly, but it's very sunny. And, uh, we're just going through a typical Colorado winter. I don't worry about it. If I don't like it, it'll be different in five or 10 minutes.
0: We'll we'll make people feel cool because they might be listening to this podcast in the heat of summer. And so just think about how cool it is. I, uh, Um, I got a little hair standing up here. Russell, you don't have that problem. You can't see him on the podcast, but uh, he's a smart man. He don't waste any energy growing hair.
1: I haven't had a bad hair day in a long time.
0: (laughs) And um, I'm thinking you probably haven't had a bad day. It's always a good day with Russell David Dennis. And we have a person that uh, uh, is is in the space of of philosophy and practice that we are, Russell. It's uh, Alan Harrison. We... We met on LinkedIn and had some conversations, and he said, I'd like to share some of my wisdom with nonprofit leaders. So, Alan, welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange.
2: Well, thank you, Hugh, and thank you, Dennis, for having me here. I'm I'm very excited to be here and looking forward to today. Well, um, tell people a little bit about
0: who Alan Harrison is.
2: So uh, I've been in the nonprofit space for over 15 years now. Uh, before that, I was in the for-profit space for almost that long. Uh, I spent a lot of time uh, in the water treatment industry. I've got a master's degree in biology. Uh, but towards the end of that part of my career, I really wanted to make a change and uh, moved into the nonprofit space and moved from technology into operations. So most of my nonprofit career has been spent in um, uh, administration, HR, I've been uh, vice president of administration, I've been CEO of a small nonprofit, um, really running things from a financial and administrative standpoint as opposed to uh, technology. So that was a big change for me, but it's, I've never looked back, I enjoy it, and uh, really love the nonprofit space.
0: We, um, we're talking about good, sound business principles today, and you've come from the business world, now we use the the funny terms for profit and profit and I think right there is where we set up a false premise with the word non profit um, we we've had guests that have talked about it being social benefit and tax exempt charity and one guest gave us the title uh, it's not a for profit it 's a for purpose organization now let's uh you're you passionate you and I spoke a little bit last week, and you're very passionate about the principles that you teach and you bring to the to this tax exempt world of, of charities that are really cause-based we're, we're working to improve people's lives and I guess the bottom line is ROL return on life the impact that we have in people's lives so let's let's start from um, why do you think it's important that these kinds of organizations, which we're going to use the word nonprofit because people understand that's the sector we're talking to, and we're talking to clergy, we're talking to leaders of associations that are tax exempt, like a chamber of commerce or other associations, and/or cause-based community um, nonprofits all over, a million and a half of those kinds of organizations. So, mm-hmm. what? What's it, Why is it important for us as leaders in this sector? To understand business principles
2: so the the first point that I would make is that a nonprofit is a business. Um, I like the term not for profit because um, we can make a profit there's nothing wrong with making money, certainly we raise money nonprofits offer um, services they offer goods uh, depending on what they do, and they charge for those things or they get money for those things and there's nothing wrong with that. The difference is that um, they take that profit not to make money. They take that profit to make good. There's a, there's a principle that they're trying to advance, whether that's feeding people who are hungry, whether it's um, you know, trying to make people healthy, whether it's uh, you know, global health or, or, or just the health uh, clinic in your local community. It doesn't matter. They're taking that money, whether it's a profit or a donation, and they're using it to make good in that community. And the reason we need to keep business principles in mind is because it is a business. Uh, All the things that a business does, a nonprofit does. Um, We have finance people, we have uh, administrators, we we sign contracts, we, we have space, we have buildings that we have to upkeep. Um, We have employees, we have HR departments, everything that a business does, a nonprofit has to do as well. And you might say they don't have sales, but they really do. the, the, uh, uh, the fundraisers are analogous to sales. And uh, uh, so virtually every function that you'll find in a business or in a nonprofit, you'll find in the opposite uh, opposite uh, uh, organization. So we set ourselves up
0: for failure when we minimize those things you're just talking about. We just mm-hmm. don't expect it's going to happen. And, mm-hmm. and even at the detriment, we say, oh, we, we can't make a profit or we can't charge too much money for that. Or, no, we're a nonprofit, we have to dumb down. What are some of the, the, the scripts that people tell themselves and others that make some of those things you talk about difficult?
2: So, I think people, first off, when you talk to people about a nonprofit, they think somehow the money just comes. Um, you know, one of the biggest errors that I see people make in politics, in, in the nonprofit world, you know, all over, is they assume that if they do good, or they do the right thing, somebody's gonna support that. And uh, that's not the case anymore. There was a time a lot of years ago where you could go to a donor and say, hey, I'm doing really great work. You need to support what I'm doing. And the donor would say, yes, you are doing great work. I do want to support what you're doing. It's not that way anymore. We're we're well past that. We're in a a, a time where it's an exchange of value. Just like if I buy uh, you know a pair of pants from a, a you know a clothier near me. I want to give him money that 's the value he gets. The value I get is a, is a nice pair of pants um, it 's no different for a nonprofit if i 'm going to a donor, I need to explain to them what the value proposition is, what they 're getting for the dollars that they 're giving to me Now it may be marketing, it may be publicity, it may be uh, something that encourages their employees because employees these days are very interested in Social enterprises and organizations that make a difference, whatever that value proposition is, I need to go to my donors with. And a lot of people don't realize that they think if I say, "Hey, I'm doing a good thing," they're going to give me money. But the great nonprofits, the ones that are really successful, understand that.
0: Well, the differentiator, those those in business build a, a strategy. Uh, at least some of them I f- found out a strategy. And um, <laughs> at CenterVision, we we consider the strategy to be central. As you know, I'm a musical conductor. And if we don't have a musical score, nobody knows what to play. Mm-hmm. And we go, we, we go into our space with all our volunteers and our board members and our staff, and we say, go. And they don't know where to go. Um, so there's, right. there's a lack of understanding of where they can be engaged, what they're supposed to do. So the centrality of that, and part of that, is understanding what our brand is. And what are unique value proposition? And you just spoke about the value proposition when you're making a presentation. And I don't think we're very good at either defining it or expressing it. So what do you say about how do we we get there?
2: Well, you know, you mentioned brand. And brand is really important for a nonprofit. I mean, as a nonprofit, you've got your reputation and your brand. Um, And people need to be crystal clear on what that brand is. You know, if you think of the good nonprofits, you know, the Nature Conservancies and the the CARES and, and, um, you know, the American Cancer Society, people know what those organizations are about. They know exactly what the American Cancer Society does. They know uh, exactly what CARE does. And they understand that um, that brand identity, those organizations understand that their brand identity is what is out there. It's no different than Google. People understand Google's brand identity or, you know, Microsoft's brand identity. It's the same kind of an idea and that needs to be marketed the same way as those organizations would. One thing I always recommend as a nonprofit is get your values, know what your values are, understand what they are, and put them first and foremost on your webpage. If you go to a great organization, the really successful organizations in the world, one of the first things you'll see on their webpage is what their values are. And, you know, lead with those values, lead with that brand, lead with that understanding. Um, That's what a lot of nonprofits don't do. They don't have a 30-second elevator speech where they can distill their brand down into a few short sentences that make people go, oh, okay, I get that. And that will allow you to understand whether you can connect with that person. Um, You know, some people won't be interested in what your mission is, and that's fine. Uh, but it will allow you to connect with the people who are interested in your mission and really really you know find out who those people are pretty quickly in the conversation you don 't want to spend six months or a year cultivating a donor who really isn 't interested in your mission you want somebody who's really going to be clued into what you 're doing
0: so russell that 's one of the messages you bring up very often uh, with board members and donors find out what they 're interested in so you want to you want to chime in here and have another question
1: for him? Well, everybody's got a different motivation. That's uh, and when you're talking about value, which is a word that's rarely used in nonprofit circles, the values in the in the mind of the of the uh, of the supporter. So you're going to be talking to multiple audiences. You you have a message for volunteers. You have a message for donors. You have a message for people in the community. You have a different message for everybody. And so really what we're talking about is profit. And uh, with with nonprofits, there is a profit, there's a social profit, and Mm -hmm. there's a a monetary profit. And um, the the discussion that, that Alan started with values, that's very important because when you look at where it is that you see yourself fitting and where you want people to go as a result, of being exposed to your services and products. What is it that you ultimately want them to have? What's the experience that they're going to get? Um, You almost have to set the table for your own measures, in a sense. Uh, By explaining where people start and where they uh, end up, uh, that's something that you measure. So everything doesn't fit in a pivot table. So there's a place for what Bernie calls the dolphin story and and the results and people want results uh donors are very sophisticated now uh are you delivering results and what do those results look like so as a business it's really important to uh, run a business like a a business it's about good stewardship and and alan's kind of like me you had a different career and then you transition into that career What would you say was the biggest surprise you got when you transform, when you moved out of your old career into nonprofit, then to the nonprofit space? What was the one thing that was sort of the biggest shock to you?
2: I I think for me, you know, when I moved from the for-profit to the nonprofit world, I remember um, I was moving it to the Nature Conservancy, and somebody at the Nature Conservancy called my old boss and said. Uh, you know, can Alan do this job? And he said, "Of course he can. It's an NGO." And there's, there, that's, you know, that's what surprised me. I mean, I've never been anywhere where people work harder or people are more talented than in the nonprofits that I work in. And people have this view um, among amongst some people, the general public, that it's some kind of a party, or or money somehow comes rolling in, or or we don't really work. We just kind of lay around all day or something. And that, to me, was the biggest surprise. Um, when I went to uh, the CDC Foundation, I worked with the CDC, and it was uh, during um, the uh, uh, Ebola crisis in uh, in Africa. And um, I have never seen people more dedicated, work harder, more talented than anywhere I've been in my life. And And so this idea that people aren't working or don't work hard or It was really a surprise to me, and I was a little bit taken aback. So I've become a little bit of a a nonprofit evangelist whenever I talk to people. I say, look, you know, we've got analogous to sales, we've got finance, we've got HR, we've got IT, every function you can think of. People are working hard, and you've got to do your job, just like anywhere else. If you don't do your job, you lose your job. And and there's there's just this view that, that somehow it's not serious. Well, in, in in the work
0: Russell and I do as as resource um, for leadership and, and strategy and performance, um, it's harder in, in this sector. I served uh, inside the church for forty years, and there's, there's a really good case of dumbing down and you know not having the, not having the the standards you're talking about, and it's it's the same as any other generic nonprofit except um, churches think people are going to just walk in the door. And we really, uh, we've lost, uh, in the mainline denominations, we've lost our relevance, and I still believe in it. And I'm a critic of it to help it. But it's the same, it's the mindset that we develop that's a scarcity mindset. It's with scarcity thinking, and the mindset ought to be abundance, because really God's given you abundance, but we have to be good stewards over it. And so that, that, that piece that Russell threw in, a, um, one of our colleagues, Bernie Dorman, uh, runs a business growth conference uh, for 25 years. and he, It attracts entrepreneurs. Now, entrepreneurs come in the business side and they come in the nonprofit side. So there's a whole lot of characteristics that are the same. But well, the dolphin thing he was referring to was, well, here's my sweet little dolphin. Well, there's no substance to your ask. You're just petting your dolphin. You want everybody else to pet your dolphin. But the, the point is that you're making is there, there's a quantifiable value that we bring. We call it, instead of ROI, when we talk to investors, it's called ROL, return on life. And it's, it's really, bottom line, is the impact. And actually, we take um, your values. We 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 have to be clear on what we value as we do strategy. We take core um, values another level because people too often write these words they don't understand. Put them away. We we develop guiding principles. How do you make decisions based on those concepts? And so, being a principle based organization, uh, I think, and what we what we're now teaching uh, nonprofits is how to develop your strategy and develop the principles that you're going to then take that strategy and integrate it into performance, which is, as, as you probably have experienced very often, is there's a big gap there. We've got a lot of well-intended, passionate, dedicated people who are low on the performance scale. And really, these people uh, want to do more, and actually, I think, in many circumstances, they work harder here than they do in their day jobs. So any of that, you want to you come back at us with s- some other thoughts?
2: Yeah, I, I would agree that people work hard in nonprofits. Some of the, the people that I've talked to that have transitioned from uh, for-profit to nonprofit say, I'm working harder than I ever worked in the, in the for-profit world. Uh, you have to wear a lot of hats, you know, money's scarce. Uh, it can, it, there's a lot of challenges. Uh, another challenge that I think for nonprofits is you, that you touched on is the impact and measuring the impact. You know, donors want to hear about impact. And uh, that can be a challenge for a nonprofit. You know, a for-profit, you can look at your balance sheet, you can look at your uh, P&L for the, for the quarter and you can say a well, lot. I sold 27,000 widgets, I made this kind of uh, gross margin, the net mar- or net profit and, and it's fairly simple, but for a nonprofit, if you're a single uh, cause nonprofit, you feed hungry families for example or you house homeless people, you you have one number to work for. But a lot of nonprofits do multiple things. And it becomes extremely challenging to measure impact. Um, I've been in nonprofits that had up to 80 uh, or 100 um, active projects. And now how do you measure impact across the 100 active projects? That becomes very difficult. And you start to uh, focus on the ones that are most important or the ones that are most impactful. But there's no question that, that you don't just have a number. You know, we did 27% this year. Or, you know, our gross margin was, was 12%. That's just not how a nonprofit works. And so when you look at your impact, you have to break it down by project. You have to break it down by the population that you serve. You have to break it down by the areas that you serve. And it's it's a huge challenge um, for, uh, for a nonprofit.
1: Well, I think the place that, that people have to, to begin at is uh, because uh, I was looking at a book, uh, The Social uh, Social Profit Handbook. It's written by a guy called David Grant. And a lot of times when we think of having programs evaluated or people coming in and assessing, we look at it like other people assessing us. In the model that, that we teach at Center Vision and where we want to bring people to is to look at How can we do what we're doing better once we decide what it is that we're doing? If we don't make a decision or try to measure what we're doing, other people are going to do that for us. And the purpose of evaluation isn't to get a grade to get a bigger check. The purpose of evaluating and benchmarking is to get better at what you're doing, deliver more impact. And find new ways to collect that information so that people can understand that value. <clears throat> and it's having the people that you're working with talk about how being affiliated with your organization has made a difference. There's a lot that goes into storytelling. So it's capturing this information that's not gonna fit neatly on the pivot table that helps us connect with people emotionally, that helps define some of that impact, you know. That ROI in terms of that is return on impact or return on influence and these types of uh, of things. But the the thought pattern that people have around nonprofits really needs to change. And you really addressed that very well, Alan, uh, how people seem to think, ah, this is just quick. This is just easy. And there are a lot of people who are reluctant to write a check because they say, well, I'm not interested in paying your rent. I wanna make sure that every dollar I give you goes into the program. And we all know that, hey, if you don't have an infrastructure to deliver it, you don't have a program. So how do we, how do we create a shift in, in, in that focus uh, with people? And what are some of the things that you've done to try to help shift some of that thinking around?
2: So I think your point about overhead is really, really important. I mean, no one goes to Google and says, you shouldn't have a finance department, those should all be volunteers. You know, you shouldn't have an IT department, those, those should all be volunteers, right? Um, you know what you get with volunteers, you get very dedicated people but have very little amount of time, and, and they can't necessarily uh, put the time in that they need to put in. So just like any other business, you've got to pay for what you need. You know, imagine, uh, uh, you know, a large nonprofit, depending on a a volunteer CFO, you know, it's going to be a mess uh, or a volunteer IT department or anything like that. It's going to be a mess. You've got to have a a well-oiled, well-run organization, and you're competing in the same talent pool. Now, um, there's a subset of people who want to be a nonprofit. They love the nonprofit. They love the mission. And I honestly believe that The employees that stick around in nonprofits are the ones that that love the mission. But um, you're still competing for the same talent pool. If I need to hire a CFO, that CFO could go to another organization that's for profit. And so the idea um, that uh, uh, we shouldn't be paying for overhead or we should pay 6% for overhead or whatever that number is, just doesn't make a lot of sense. Now, the finances need to be transparent. They need to, it needs to be reasonable. You shouldn't be spending 90 percent on overhead, uh, obviously, but you've got to have uh, enough of a spending to uh, hire people who, you know have families and car payments and house payments and all of those kinds of things. And I think we need to have honest uh, conversations with uh, the foundations, uh, the corporations and the other donors who, who seem to have this mindset that, that this should all be for free, um, because it's not. And they want a good product. They want excellent services to the population that we serve or the, or the cause that we serve. So they've got to understand that that comes with a cost. You've got to have good people to have a good product. You've got to have good people to offer a good service. And you've got to pay those people, you know, they've got to live. They've got to, you know, send their kids to school and pay their car payments.
1: You know, the crazy flip side of that is that there are some nonprofits there that think, well, you know, hey, we're doing worthy work. Why aren't people coming? Uh, Why won't they write us a check? And so uh, there's that other piece where from the side of the nonprofit, they don't always understand what people are looking for, what motivates them to support uh, a cause. So How do you have that conversation with nonprofit leaders to get them to understand the sort of things that will uh, motivate people to lend that support?
2: Well, you touched on it when you talked about value. Um, It's an exchange of value. Um, There's some value that that donor has to be getting from the nonprofit, whether it's um, a demonstration to their employee base that they're making a difference in the world and they're a socially conscious organization, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, a marketing campaign that they can build uh, around the work that they're doing with an organization, uh, whether it's, you know, something that makes them feel good. It it doesn't matter what that value is, but what you've got to do as a nonprofit is understand what value they're interested in and then determine whether you can supply that value. You know, if you can't supply the value that a particular donor is looking looking for, stop talking to that donor. You're wasting your time and you're wasting their time. Find a different donor that would be interested in the value that you offer. Uh, It's just like if I'm at Sears and I sell suits, well, maybe not Sears anymore, but if I sell suits and somebody's not looking for a suit, I probably don't need to talk to that person and they probably don't need to talk to me. It's the same thing.
1: Is there a point that you see a lot of nonprofit leaders hanging on beyond where they should simply say? next? Is it a pretty common problem for, for nonprofit leaders to, to continue to try to implement strategies to attract donors who they just might not, not be the right fit for?
2: Yeah, I think it's harder for a nonprofit leader to say that. I think as nonprofit leaders, we care so much about what we do. We care so much about our cause that it's hard to imagine that someone else wouldn't care about that. And it's hard to see maybe that someone doesn't uh, care about that and we'll, we'll keep pushing a value that maybe that person isn't interested in. But there is somebody who's interested and, and so your time is better spent um, finding that person who is interested.
0: Yeah, it's a good, it's a, it's a good match. Um, mm-hmm. there, people have a, a philanthropic side, they want to volunteer, um, but really um, they don't want to volunteer for everything and we sometimes um, talk people into volunteering when they really really don't want to, and then they don't perform and we blame them when it's really our fault.
2: Mm
0: -hmm. We think we we have a vision of what they ought to be interested in instead of having the conversation. And that also goes true of putting people on boards and putting them in slots, like a treasurer or secretary or whatever communications. Um, they put well, we put people in the wrong place. And, and so going back to what y'all were saying about the misconceptions, I'm not sure if you've seen the TED Talk by Dan Pallotta, the way we think about charity is, is dead wrong. Have you seen that video? I haven't. Oh, yeah. Look up TED Talk and Dan Pilata, But just the way we take a charity is dead wrong. We'll get you there. Um, it's the stuff you guys were talking about. We think we can't spend money on marketing that's a sin we can't think we think we can't take a few risks. We lose a few hundred dollars and people go insane where Disney has a two hundred million dollar flop on a movie or more than that today that's just a cost of doing business. Um, the other one is this this overhead thing it's it's a fallacy overhead you're marketing you're paying people and and the other one is you talk to is we can't pay decent salaries well you're going to give up this this. Big corporate job,'ll work for less money, and we expect you to do the job of three people for a third of the pay. There's some really unreasonable expectations we have. So those seem to be the biggest myths, which are totally wrong in my book. What do you think?
2: Oh, I agree. I mean, um, I've seen people uh, on boards that clearly weren't interested. And uh, you know they don't do anything, and six months later they resign. It it just doesn't make any sense. You have to understand what drives that person and what they're interested in. You have to take the time, and then you know the myth that we can't spend money or take risks. Um, one of my favorite quotes is uh, from a guy named Samuel Johnson, who was one of the founding fathers of the country. He said something along the lines of, um, "If all risks, uh, or if all." Um, I'm trying to exactly remember what the quote is. But it's something along the lines of, if all uh, danger must be removed, then nothing will ever be accomplished. So the idea is that if you uh, reduce risk to zero, you're never going to accomplish anything. And that's uh, uh, that's an absolute fallacy that we can't have any risk uh, in a nonprofit organization. Now, all risks have to be considered. They have to be logical. You have to have reasons behind them. And then when things fail, you have to learn from it. I had a boss years ago who said, fail faster. And I thought that was crazy until I realized that what he was saying was, you know, there's going to be failures in life. Accept it for a failure when you get to it, get past it and get on to something else. Um, Things are going to fail. You're going to try a program that isn't going to work. You're going to try a a population to to serve a new population that doesn't work. Um, You have to accept that, that that risk that you took in trying to serve that new population, isn't working, and get on to something where you really can have an impact. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: Those are, um, I I, I think that underneath all of, as you've been talking, I've been thinking about, underneath this conversation about embracing good sound business principles, for lack of a better word, good sound operational principles, they're the same for a for-profit or a not-for-profit organization. There, but but there's, some, there's some subtle differences that actually we have a lot more regulations in the, in the nonprofit uh, arena Then we have to be very careful with um, how money is, is used. Um, and especially if there's designated gifts that people give us money for a certain thing. But this, um, there's, there's a public persona. You mentioned American Cancer Society, which is a, a curious organization to me. Um, and we're talking here about overhead. People don't give to overhead, but they raise tons of money. And only 12% goes to research. And so that's a classic example of exorbitant salaries and over-benefiting the employees. But, but, but very little goes to the end result. However, people look past that somehow, and there's, there's a lot of money donated to that organization. So there's a persona, there's a marketing piece of that that's evidently very strong. And, but on the other side, we just, we feel defeated because other organizations are taking all the money. Well, the last time I checked, money is a renewable resource. And so part of our thinking, it's fundamentally, all this stuff where I'm headed with this, sorry to ramble, is that underneath this it's leadership and nothing happens without leadership. And the the organization is the reflection of the leader. So, all of these, there are organizations that do a very good job, like American Cancer Society, presenting themselves in marketing, but there are other organizations that probably have um, 10% overhead and make a lot of impact, but they're vastly compromised by their effective lack of effective board and lack of revenue. So what do you think about leadership as being the anchor for what we're talking about?
2: Well, there's no question that you need a leader that understands that all these things are important, um, you know you if you have a leader at a nonprofit that only focuses on providing the service or the you know whatever good the nonprofit is doing uh, and doesn't get out there and talk about the organization and market the organization and recognize how important branding is and how important marketing is, um, you're not going to go very far. Uh, another uh, item that you touched on a little bit is accountability it's holding people accountable. You know, a lot of people in nonprofits think we need to be nice. uh, And I would argue that we do need to be nice and we need to treat people with dignity. But treating people with dignity uh, and being nice to them doesn't mean not holding them accountable. Um, accountable Accountability is a big piece in nonprofits that can be a challenge because everybody wants to be nice. Um, Sometimes you've got to say this person isn't working out, this project isn't working out, this department isn't working out, and, and make a change. And you can do that in a kind way. You can do that in a way that preserves people's dignity. But if you just let it slide, um, like I've seen happen, uh, then you get mediocrity. And, you know, every organization, uh, is as strong as its weakest link. Every chain is as strong as its weakest link. And it brings down the whole organization. So, uh, I would argue that leaders are, um, need to be focused on that accountability that sometimes is an issue in the nonprofit world.
0: Well, and, and we actually cause some of those problems. Like you say, we put the wrong person in the wrong place. Mm-hmm. And then we're just nice to them. They're trying. They're, we have to be nice to them. as a nonprofit. They're trying. Well, they're bringing down your culture. And actually, they're representing your brand in a negative way. Right. And so, What's damage control at that
2: point? Go ahead. Well, the brand has to come first. The mission has to come first. And everything that you do in the nonprofit has to be focused towards advancing the mission and advancing the brand. And um, you always, as a leader, need to be asking yourself the question Does this advance the mission in the best way? Does this advance the brand in the best way? And I think a good leader can recognize hey, this isn't working. Um, we need to make a change. You know, we've brought this person on our board who isn't interested. Uh, I need to have a conversation with that person. It takes some. Um, assertiveness. It takes some guts, uh, but the leader has to be willing to to make those kinds of changes and have those kinds of conversations um, in an organization. And for some reason, they're a little more timid in non-profit organizations than people are typically in for-profit organizations because it's perceived as not being nice.
0: Well, and it's, it's being honest, though. Mm-hmm. We want to be honest with people. Um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Russell, it's back to you.
1: Well, you know, I think that uh, honesty goes a long way, but honesty without compassion is brutality. So it, it's, all, it's all in how you go about putting things out there. And So as we look at this environment today, and it, there's just the realization that business principles are so critical to being effective stewards of, uh, of things that are entrusted to nonprofits. I think there's a whole lot of confusion, but there are still some very subtle and distinct differences between a not-for-profit or a social-profit entity and a purely profit entity. Uh, what are the what do you see as the most important distinctions to make between the for-profit and the social-profit entity?
2: So I I think that. Uh you know in the well it's it's obvious that in the for-profit world you're you're in it for the profit right you're trying to enrich shareholders you're trying to enrich management you're trying to have you know quarterly profits that increase every month uh, every quarter you know those kind of things but I mean with you know anybody in the for-profit world is familiar with that and I've been there um, we can't forget what our mission is in a non nonprofit and that's the difference you know you talked about having compassion um, and really the nonprofit world is about uh, manifesting that compassion in the larger world, and that's really what we're trying to do. We're trying to take that compassion that we have and manifest it in the, lar- in the larger world. And I would argue that while we can learn from the for-profit, the for-profit can also learn from us. From us, you know, that compassion for employees, that compassion for the larger world, that goes a long way. I always use the word dignity. I think we need to treat people in a way that preserves their dignity. Uh, in a way that doesn't threaten their dignity as a person. And um, I think that the for-profit world would learn a lot in some places. Now, I would never say that all, non, all for-profits don't treat people with dignity, but it, it's much more common in that world. And I think they would learn a lot from what for, 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 well, from what nonprofits do in terms of treating people with compassion and dignity.
1: Do you, do you think that that uh, where do you think you see more of a collaborative type of leadership? or another question I would ask is, do you see some pathways to create more collaboration in both worlds? Because we're in a, in a society today where people are really getting locked into their differences. And I think we're suffering from it. So how, how can collaboration as a way of life in both types of entities help us with our larger conversations with, with how we approach each other as people?
2: Yeah, I think nonprofits and for-profits should be collaborating with each other. Um, one of the things that uh, I like about the millennial generation is they really want to make a difference in the world. They have a lot of passion for um, recognizing what is wrong with the world and, and, and wanting to make a difference. And, you know, that becomes important um, just to have a workforce in the for-profit world. And, and as nonprofits, we can bring them opportunities to engage their employees in causes that are important to them. Whether that's uh, uh, you know uh, environmental things, whether it's you know feeding the homeless, um, those sorts of things, we can give them direct you know volunteer opportunities. You know, UPS has a goal to have a million hours of uh, nonprofit, uh, or, or maybe it's 20 million hours of nonprofit uh, volunteer time with their employees. You know, nonprofits need to step up and talk to all the organizations out there about the kind of opportunities we can offer them to engage their employees and in those kinds of volunteer efforts. And, and those things go a long way for both organizations. Um, You know, the nonprofit gets uh, exposure and marketing people come away saying, wow, this is great. I got to do this or do that. And then the for-profit gets an engaged workforce that says I work for a great company. They let me take a day off and, you know, go plant trees for, for, for this tree planting organization or, or go, and people in the soup kitchen that, that didn't have anything to eat that day. So I think those kinds of collaborations, uh, which happen, but probably don't happen nearly as much as they should.
1: If you get somebody that comes out of university now, uh, it was a little bit different when the three of us attended. But now uh, you're looking at a situation where somebody comes out, particularly if they are done the graduate work, they've got this massive debt. That they've got to deal with. And you have career opportunities in private enterprise that are driven by, uh, you know, stock prices and a lot of other things. How would you make a case to get somebody that's very talented to choose a, a career in the social profit uh, field, knowing they're leaving all of these other things on the table and they've got this mounting debt? How do you make a case that it's really worthwhile to go into this nonprofit sector?
2: Well, one of the things that I've noticed with people that are coming out of the university now, they, uh, they don't expect to work for the same company for 25 or 30 or 40 years and retire from that company. Uh, a lot of people um, in the uh, millennial generation go into a job knowing, I want to be here two or three years. I want this to be a resume builder. I want this to be a, a skill builder I want this to be an opportunity and then I'm going to go on to the next thing I think as nonprofits we have to accept that uh, not try to change it not try to talk people into working somewhere for 30 years but go in talking to them about what this opportunity is this is an opportunity to build your resume this is an opportunity to wear a lot of hats and gain a bunch of skills this is a lot of this is an opportunity to be um, Uh, exposed to to donors, some of whom are are people that you may want to work for someday. I think that if we go into it with the idea that, okay, we understand what these people want, we understand what this particular market of potential employees want, and offer them that, then you're going to get more people saying, hey, yeah, you know, I could go there for three years. And that would be awesome to, you know, work with these big companies that are their donors, and, you know, have volunteers and that sort of thing. And you know, then I can go on to the next thing. And I think accepting that uh, approach of how they want to live their lives, they're going to be more interested in talking to us.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. There's a lot of um, comments in this interview about money. And I find a common perception is nonprofit leaders say, oh, if we just had the money, we could do more. And I come back with, can we see your strategy? Well, I don't have one how do you define your board's engagement It will scale of one to 10 and I get like a four and a half. So I said, that's the reason you don't have money. And if you had money, it probably wouldn't be, you probably wouldn't get you the results that you want. What do you think about that? Do you experience that as, as a definition of what's missing and do you have a different take on what they need to do to earn it or attract it?
2: Well, I, I certainly agree with you that, that money is not the be-all and end-all, and, you know, an organization needs to be in a position to effectively use any money that they get. Um, You know, if you've got a a board that's engaged uh, at a four, um, you're right. I've, you know, I serve on a board, and it's an extremely engaged board, and the organization is doing very well financially. And that's because the board is engaged and the organization recognizes that they need to do marketing and they need to do branding and they need to measure impact and they need to do all the things that are, you know, important for an organization. And, um, you know, it, it comes back to those principles. You have to be willing to accept that things aren't just going to come rolling in. You're going to have to work for it. You're going to have to understand your audience, uh, pick the right audience, and then really um, execute and demonstrate that you've executed on whatever your mission is. Um, it's, it's no different than a, than a for-profit business in that way. Um, there are a lot of differences about what we do and what we're trying to accomplish, but in terms of execution, there's a, there's a lot of similarities there.
0: Sometimes people get excited when I talk about team execution. They think they're going to get to shoot people.
2: <laughs> 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 well, let's hope not. That's not a good nonprofit <laughs> you know, you know,
0: we we do it to ourselves we bring in people because we have a perception they ought to be doing something rather than what what Dennis's mess, Russells message is is let's find out what they're interested in first that's right and you know we talked I talked about roL return on life there's we have a mission that's our intellectual property we're doing this this is the value we bring we want to get the money that's the uh, so we have we have this, this middle capital, this value capital. We want money capital, financial capital, but in the middle is relationship capital. and We don't invest in that. So, so part of what businesses do is they're really, uh, well, the ones that are successful, build relationships with, with their customers. And our customers in the uh, nonprofit world, all well, the people that support us, our stakeholders, donors, board members, those people who step up as volunteers. We don't do a very good job of, of, of nurturing them, do we?
2: No, I, I think some organizations do a very good job of that, but others, again, um, don't take the time, like you said, to really understand what they are. You need to meet people where they are, not where you want them to be. And you need to be willing to um, invest the time and the effort in really understanding what People are looking for, and then you've got to ask yourself the honest question on whether you can give them that. If you can't, you walk away. It's it's not the right fit. And um, I think that because we love what we do so much, we project our love for what we're doing onto other people, and we, that that's a little bit of a pitfall for people in nonprofit and nonprofit leaders. It's
0: very common, isn't it? It's a common. That's a common scenario, isn't it?
2: Oh yeah, yeah, it is a very common scenario. Um, and, and I don't think it's any different than any other world. Um, people tend to project their own loves and desires and interests on, on other people. But when you're running a business, um, it's, it's dangerous and it can, be, uh, it can be devastating.
0: I want to get one more thing on the table here before I go to the sponsor message. But um, Russell and I serve uh, leaders as, a, as an advisor. Um, we don't customarily use the words consultant or coach because there's so much gray around what that means. And and 90% of those people saying they're consultants give us a bad name. <laughs> so um, we're, we've gone from consulting to insulting to now advising. And we, we have a paradigm in Vision that's a wayfinder. We partner and we have some strategies to guide guide the process. But but our job is to help, help leaders step up their own game. Um, I find that people struggling are the ones who want to figure it out for themselves. And I find, by and large, the successful leaders have somebody like one of us as, a, as an advisor, whatever they call them. Um, why do you think people are reluctant to pay for somebody to help them learn, to help them be accountable, to give them a process, to connect them in different ways? there's a reluctance for people to do that.
2: Well, I think there's a little bit of a stigma attached with having a coach or um, whatever that is. There's some view that, hey, if we had to get this guy a coach, there must be something wrong. He's not doing his job. He's not, uh, he's not performing. You know, my view is that one of the greatest gifts that an organization can offer an employee is coaching um, to help them get better at what they do, to help them understand the, uh, how to get through the challenges that they're facing. You know, whatever that is, I think that's a huge gift that an organization can offer an employee, whether it's a senior executive or a manager, you know, whoever it is, um, to help them get better at their job. But there's that stigma, I think, that, uh, oh, you know, we had to get this guy a coach, uh, or we had to get this woman a coach, she must not be doing a good job, and, and then people will look down on that. And I think we have to be very clear that coaching is a positive, that support is a positive. None of us is an island, Uh, None of us can uh, completely be effective at everything on our own. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, things that they're going to be good at and things that they're not. And giving someone support uh, is the greatest gift that I think an organization could give an employee. That's a great answer. Russell, what do you think?
1: I think that having a trusted advisor is really getting somebody to outside of the scope of what you're doing. and are not so attached to it that they may have blind spots. But I've discovered that for me, and when I work with other people, uh, they have what I call superpowers. And we can't always define our superpowers. There are things that each of us do that it's so easy for us that, that we tend to minimize it or blow it off or we may, may not even recognize it. But when you talk to people around you and they say, oh, you did something, and they'll point out something that you did. And having a system in place where you recognize everybody's superpowers and you recognize one another's superpowers is very important because everybody's working to their strengths that way. And it's honoring that. It's honoring what you're good at. and. Uh, But having an outside perspective is how you can pull that genius that's right right there Mm in-house. I find that when I'm working with organizations, they don't know how much they don't know. On the flip side of that, they don't know how much they already know. And having somebody to help them channel all of that genius is is valuable. And they'll get more out of it. Taking that time uh, over the long haul to... To really get better at what you do and to define what you do and to find the right people to collaborate with, to serve, to have pay for the services, taking that time is critical. If you don't take that time, you're trying to serve the wrong people and you are reaching for the wrong people, you burn a lot of energy.
0: So Alan, we've, um, we've laid a lot of themes on the table today for people. <laughs> And um, you obviously have a lot of wisdom to share, a lot more than we can cover in this limited time. And you have a lot of experience. And uh, you're, you're, you're taking some time off, for family. You're going to go for your next, next venture next year. I'm curious to see where you end up. Because whoever gets you um, is going to be lucky because you bring a whole lot of value and wisdom to their organization. Um, I'm going to talk about one of our sponsors. We're able to offer free programs for nonprofits because we have sponsors that help us and we champion their brand because their brand is valuable to us and valuable to others. The brand today is word sprint like the word like fast word sprint S P R I N T dot com. It's really a marketing company. They have a print a print house. They print our magazine nonprofit performance 360 magazine but they mail it. So people get something in their hand and it, and it sets us aside from people that send a lot of emails and expect everybody to read them, but it's called top of mind marketing. So people that are our stakeholders who happen to be nonprofit leaders and clergy, um, we want them to remember us and remember what value we bring in their lives. So 30% is the message we have valuable messages that people need to know, like the messages in today's podcast. We have uh, the we're pinpointing these to the right person who is the person interested in personal growth, organizational development, and board development and those kinds of topics that we, we speak to. And then 30% is the rhythm they hear from us on a regular basis. Um, So then 10% is what it looks like. It's got to look good. However, we don't spend a lot of money making it look frivolous because that's negative in the, in the social benefit world. People want to know that we're effectively using our resources. So about, back to what uh, Russell said in this interview, it's about good stewardship. We manage resources of time, talent, and money. So WordSprint is our marketing su- support. We choose WordSprint because they do a fine job and they help keep us in front of others. Now, if you run a nonprofit and you have donors, you will maintain the donor base and grow the donor base. If you talk to Bill Gilmer and his staff at WordSprint, they will show you their two decades of research of how every nonprofit they work with keeps their donors and raises the donation amount with their program. So wordsprint.com. Go there and check it out. You'd be glad you did. So as we close out this really uh, helpful podcast, Alan, what tip or what thought do you want to leave people with before Russell closes this down?
2: I think that to sort of boil everything down into a 15 second piece is that if you use business principles um, in a nonprofit, uh, and don't forget the compassion and the mission, you're going to be successful. You're going to maximize your chance for success. And uh, I hope people can take that away and cogitate on that a little bit and, and apply that to what they do in the nonprofit world.
1: Alan Harrison, it's been a joy to sit and speak with you. What's the best way for people to reach you?
2: Well, uh, if they find me on LinkedIn uh, and, and uh, try to uh, uh, you know, send me a, a, a connection request on LinkedIn, I think that's probably the best way. I'm pretty active on there. I've written a couple of articles on there and uh, would certainly love to make some new connections on LinkedIn. And I want to thank both of you uh, for today. This has been a lot of fun. It's been stimulating for me. I always get my best ideas in in conversation with other people who uh, understand the subject. So uh, I I think this was very rewarding for me, and I hope it was rewarding for others as well.
1: Uh, This is definitely rewarding work for us. That's why we do it. If
2: you
1: (laughs) can't have any fun at it, why do it? Uh, Exactly. (laughs) I'd like to thank all of our friends for joining us here at the Nonprofit Exchange. We're here every week. Uh, Alan, I'm sure that Sandy, uh, uh, friend Sandy, will be inviting you to submit an article for a future edition of the Nonprofit Performance 360 magazine uh, that we put out that Bill Gilmer and his team uh, print. Uh, Take a minute to go to wordsprint.com, sign up for a consultation. Talk to Bill about getting that message that you have out there. Uh, I know that the folks that watch this, pod, listen to this podcast, watch this broadcast, you're difference makers out there making a difference. And nobody can support you if they don't know about your work. So talk to Bill Gilmer, see if he can help you get the word out about your work. Uh, join us here again next Tuesday. At 2 p.m. Eastern for the Nonprofit Exchange, where we'll be bringing you another remarkable thought leader, as we do from week to week, who can help you put your mission on track, get better at what you're already brilliant at. And until next time, this is Russ Dennis signing off from the Nonprofit Exchange.